Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. Welcome back, everyone. We're broadcasting live today from the American Legislative Exchange Council Conference in downtown Salt Lake City. We'll continue to do that all the way till 3 o'clock today. We're going to continue now our conversation with Steve Hayes, of course, from The Dispatch, uh, one of the great thinkers, writers, and pundits uh, out there in uh, the country today. And uh, Steve, we appreciate you staying with us uh, a little bit longer and wanted to get into the uh, January 6th commission, uh, obviously highly politicized. And uh, I, I felt uh, that Nancy Pelosi really gave Kevin McCarthy some gifts early on in who she chose, uh, making it very political. Uh, and then I think uh, as seems to be happening more and more, I think Kevin McCarthy uh, grasped defeat from the jaws of victory and uh, handed it right back to her uh, in some of his actions. But how did you see that first day of the, uh, the committee hearings go? Yeah, you know, actually, just just to start where where you started, I mean, I'm with you. I think what's unfortunate is leaders of both parties have politicized this from the beginning. You know, there was a time I was doing a fair amount of reporting. I spent a lot of my time editing and and managing these days, but I was doing a fair amount of reporting in the days after January 6th, talking to to Republicans and some Democrats about what had happened, what it meant, what the impeachment process was likely to look like, and the possibility that there would be uh, a special committee uh, commission tasked with looking at this process. There was a, a great deal of consensus across party lines that there should be an independent investigation into this um, you know, with, with people uh, on the panel who were not current political officials, not currently serving uh, elected officials and members of Congress. And unfortunately, what happened is in the middle of that process, as there was some, I'd say, behind the scenes feeling out of the, the, the possibility that there could really be a consensus group that would make that kind of investigation happen. Nancy Pelosi wrote a letter only to Democratic colleagues, surprising many of the Republicans who had been having conversations with their Democratic colleagues about this kind of independent investigation. Pelosi dropped this letter in the middle of it and said she was going to, to, to push for a committee and that it was going to be seven Democrats and four Republicans. And Democrats were going to run the staff and what have you. It immediately, I think, diminished the likelihood that we were ever going to get that that kind of an investigation. It made the Republicans who had been having these kind of behind-the-scenes talks with their Democratic colleagues say, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I thought I, thought I was having good-faith conversations about a serious investigation into what took place there on a nonpartisan basis. And here Nancy Pelosi drops this partisan bomb at the beginning of the process. So I think 
she deserves a lot of blame. I, I believe to this day from the conversations I was having at the time that we would have seen, potentially would have seen that kind of actual independent commission looking into this, uh, producing a document that would give us answers to a lot of the questions that I think are still out there, but for Nancy Pelosi's decision to send that letter without any warning and partis- you know, politicize the process from the get-go. Having yeah. said that... Everything that happened since then, I think the Republicans have been bad actors in this. I mean, I think it's very important that we do have that kind of full accounting. And, you know, you had Senate Republicans, including several who had indicated a willingness to to do this. People like John Cornyn, Marco Rubio, many others um, said, I want an independent commission. Suddenly decide after Mitch McConnell said we shouldn't have one, that that there shouldn't be one. And then I think nobody's been um, a less serious actor in all of this than, than Kevin McCarthy, who's just being sort of dragged around by the most extreme elements in, in his party, um, doing everything he can not to antagonize them or, or not to get them frustrated with him. And it leads us to this very sad place, I think, a disappointing place. Yeah, and it is really disappointing because I I agree that uh, getting to the truth, uh, I think, is a critical thing, uh, not just for the sake of the truth, uh, but for the American people to have confidence uh, in our institutions and that we can uh, do things. And and I was uh, I'm with you, Steve. I I had hope early on that this actually could be uh, a committee that could demonstrate that we can do this. And as you said, uh, both Nancy Pelosi and. Uh, and Leader McCarthy uh, have have proven otherwise, uh, and and now I fear that we're in for this uh, one more round from Washington. Of uh, I don't even know why we call them hearing, hearings anymore because nobody's listening. Everybody's waiting for their social media moment. Uh, but are there right. are there things that you're looking for or hoping for in your conversations back there of any glimmers of hope in terms of some positives coming uh, from the committee's work? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Look, the, the committee has subpoena power. Um, you know, congressional subpoena power doesn't, doesn't mean as much as subpoena power does in other contexts as we saw back in the Obama administration, as we've seen over, over the years. So I'm not terribly confident that we'll be able to compel testimony of people who are reluctant to, to give it. Um, that said, I think there's there's documentation and there's, there's gettable information um, about what took place that day uh, and in the days leading up to it that that will emerge. So I do expect the committee to be able to produce some new information. I, I, you know, the, the bigger problem, boy, to me is will anybody who doesn't who's not open to that new information actually, you know, learn from it or listen to it. I mean, we're in such a a place, and you and I have talked about this a a number of times before, but I mean, we're in this place where, you know, people are kind of free and in many cases eager to create their own reality. And, you know, I I think there's a lot to learn by listening to the people who are investigating what took place that day so we make sure that it never happens again. Unfortunately, you have people who are saying, you know, these, these were... Uh, nothing but a bunch of tourists, you know, which is an absurd proposition. You have other people who are downplaying the attacks um, in a way that I think is is unhelpful. And then on the other side, you have people who are catastrophizing the attacks. And 
I think they're very, very serious attacks. I think there's little doubt at this point that what we had was an attempt by some of the people uh, who were involved in the assault on the Capitol to try to stop the certification process and to try to forestall the, the peaceful transfer of power. I do think that's what's happening. That's serious by definition. Um, but, you know, people who are saying, well, this is just like 9-11. I mean, it's not just like 9-11. So unfortunately, I think you have this on both sides and increasingly, at least in Washington, I don't think this is the sense out in the country, which gives me some some hope. But at least in Washington, everybody sort of retreats to their, their partisan corners and, you know, and closes their ears to the information that complicates their their perception of what happened. Yeah, that's right. And, and that uh, the, those echo chambers and social media bubbles uh, are, are limiting so many important conversations from happening. We had Tim Schreiber on the uh, the show. He's got a, a new organization called Unite.org uh, and talk about how do we get to these conversations. But he, he raised an interesting point, Steve, of if we're always in our own little bubble, one of the things that we lose or one of the things that we lose in this in this very polarized uh, divisive world is that we actually lose our curiosity uh, because we're we're just hearing the yeah. same thing over and over and over and uh, and you alluded to that in terms of you know do we still have the ability for a committee or for a member of Congress to be curious about something in the right way uh, and actually lead to good outcomes for the American people? Yeah, and and you sure hope that we do. And, and again, you know, the thing that that gives me gives me some optimism is. Yeah, I think the American people, more than folks in Washington realize, do have that hope. I mean, I think so much of the stuff that happens in Washington, you know, sort of normal Americans. I grew up in a town called Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. People where I grew up, they look at Washington and think, what, who are these people? Like, what are they doing? And while there's no question that there is this kind of deep polarization, partisan polarization among many of the people who are sort of most actively involved in politics or follow day-to-day politics, for people who are you know, out living their lives and pay attention because they care about the country and they're, they're good citizens, they look at Washington and they think, what is the matter with these people? And I got to say, uh, you know, that's where I am on, on many days, uh, despite living. We, we, we live far outside of Washington, but we're close enough to, to, to feel Washington, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the reason we love to be at the uh, ALEC conference here, because it is that state and local that uh, we, we can't say that exactly. uh, that our politics has, has failed, but America won't. And, and it's because of those communities and all of those Americans across the political spectrum who get up every day and go to work and coach Little League and take care of their families and contribute in their, their workspace and uh, do all of that. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we're just wrapping up our conversation with Steve Hayes. Uh, if you haven't checked out The Dispatch, uh, if you are looking for a place to really get news and commentary and insight uh, that is not in the extreme of either side of the political spectrum, but real thought-provoking analysis and commentary the dispatch uh, is the place to do that. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us today. Always appreciate your insight. Anytime, Boyd. Thanks for having me. All right. Again, that's uh, Steve Hayes. Love uh, Steve's writing and his work. And again, what's happening at the dispatch, the dispatch.com uh, is a great place to get some news that you don't feel like you're being 
jerked to the right or to the left, uh, but you can actually just stand still and think and process, and it'll make you just a little smarter, give you some more things to be curious about. Curiousness is uh, is a key to all of this. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to continue to broadcast live from the American Legislative Executive Council meetings right here in downtown Salt Lake City. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.